beginning is a bit sad This time, he had had a happy life, living peacefully with his mother and father in a beautiful house beside the sea. There were always plenty of other children for him to play with, and there was the sandy beach for him to run about on, and the ocean to paddle in. It was the perfect life for a small boy. Then, one day, James's mother and father went to London to do some shopping, and there was a terrible thing that had happened. Both of them suddenly got eaten up in full daylight, mind you, and on a crowded street by an enormous, angry rhinoceros which had escaped from the London Zoo. Now, this, as you can well imagine, was a rather nasty experience for two such gentle parents. But, in the long run, it was far nastier for James than it was for them. Their troubles were over in a jiffy. They were dead and gone in 35 seconds, flat. <laughs> Poor James, on the other hand, was still very much alive and all at once, he found himself alone and frightened in a vast and unfriendly world. The lovely house by the seaside had to be sold immediately, and the little boy, carrying nothing but a small suitcase containing a pair of pajamas and a toothbrush, was sent away to live with his two aunts, or aunts. <laughs> Their names were Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spiker. And I am sorry to say that they were both really horrible people. They were selfish and lazy and cruel and 
Right from the beginning, they started beating poor James for almost no reason at all. They never called him by his real name, but always referred to him as, You disgusting little beast, or you filthy nuisance, or you miserable creature. And they certainly never gave him any toys to play with or any picture books to look at. His room was as bare as a prison cell. They lived on Sponge and Aunt Spiker, and now James as well, in a queer ramsackle house on the top of a high hill in the south of England. so high that from almost anywhere in the garden, James could look down and see for miles and miles across a marvelous landscape of woods and fields and, on a very clear day, if he looked in the right direction, he could see a tiny gray dot far away on the horizon, which was the house that he used to live in with his beloved mother and father. Just beyond that, he could see the ocean itself. A long, thin streak of blackish blue, like a line of ink, beneath the rim of the sky. But James was never allowed to go down off the top of that hill. Neither Aunt Sponge nor Aunt Spiker could ever be bothered to take him out with herself, not even for a small walk or a picnic. He certainly wasn't permitted to go alone. The nasty little beast will only get into mischief if he goes out of the garden, Aunt Spiker had said and terrible punishments were promised him, such as being locked up in the cellar with the rats for a week, if he ever so much as dared to climb over the fence. The garden, which covered the whole of the top of the hill, was large and desolate, and the only tree in the entire place apart from a clump of dirty old laurel bushes at the far end, was an ancient peach tree that never gave any peaches. There was no swing, no seesaw, no sand pit, and no other children were ever invited to come up the hill and play with poor James. There wasn't so much as a dog or a cat around to keep him company, and as time went on, he became sadder and sadder and more and more lonely, and he used to spend hours every day standing at the bottom of the garden, gazing wistfully at the lovely but forbidden world of woods and fields 
and ocean that was spread out below him like a magic carpet. Chapter 2 Here is James Henry Trotter after he had been living with his aunts for three whole years. Which is when this story really begins. For now, there came a morning when something rather peculiar happened to him. And this thing, which I say was only rather peculiar, soon caused a second thing to happen, which was very peculiar. And then, the very peculiar thing, in its own turn, caused a really fantastically peculiar thing to occur. It all started on a blazing hot day in the middle of summer. Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spiker and James were all out in the garden. James had been put to work, as usual. This time, he was chopping wood for the kitchen stove. Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spiker were sitting comfortably in deck chairs nearby, sipping tall glasses of fizzy lemonade and watching him to see that he didn't stop work for one second. Aunt Sponge was enormously fat and very short. She had small piggy eyes, a sunken mouth, and one of those white flappy faces that looked exactly as though it had been boiled. She was like a great, white, soggy, overboiled cabbage. Aunt Spiker, on the other hand, was lean and tall and bony. She wore steel-rimmed spectacles that fixed on the end of her nose with a clip. She had a screeching voice and long, wet, narrow lips. And whenever she got angry or excited, little flecks of spit would come shooting out of her mouth as she talked. And there they sat, these two ghastly hags, sipping their drinks and, every now and again, screaming at James to chop faster and faster. They also talked about themselves, each one saying how beautiful she thought she was. Aunt Sponge had a long-handled mirror on her lap, and she kept picking it up and gazing at her own hideous face. I look and smell, Aunt Sponge declared, as lovely as a rose. Just feast your eyes upon my face. Observe my shapely nose. Behold my heavenly silky locks. And if I take off both my socks, you'll see my dainty toes. But don't forget Aunt Spiker cried, how much your tummy shows. 
give me some peace. James turned and ran. He ran off as fast as he could to the far end of the garden and hid himself behind that clump of dirty old laurel bushes that we mentioned earlier on. Then he covered his face with his hands and began to cry and cry. Do you want me to read one more chapter to you? Sure. Let's do one more. Chapter three. It was at this point that the first thing of all, the rather peculiar thing that led to so many much more peculiar things happened to him. For suddenly, just behind him, James heard a rustling of leaves, and he turned around, and he saw an old man in a crazy dark green suit emerging from the bushes. He was a very small old man, huge bald head, and a face that was covered all over with bristly black whiskers. He stopped when he was about three yards away, and he stood there, leaning on his stick and staring hard at James. When he spoke, his voice was a very slow and creaky. I'm closer to me, little boy, he said, beckoning to James with a finger. Come right up close to me and I will show you something wonderful. James was too frightened to move. The old man hobbled a step or two nearer, and then he put a hand into the pocket of small white paper bag. You see this? He whispered, waving the bag gently to and fro in front of James's face. You know what this is, my dear? You know what's inside this little bag. When he came nearer still, leaning forward and pushing his face so close to James that James could feel breath blowing on his cheeks. The breath smelled musty and stale and slightly mildewed, like air in an old cellar. Take a look, my dear, he said, opening and tilting it towards James. Inside, James could see a mass of tiny green things that looked like little stones or crystals, each one about the size of a grain of rice. They were extraordinarily beautiful, but there was a strange brightness about them, a sort of luminous quality that made them glow and sparkle in the most 
wonderful way. Listen to them, the old man whispered. Listen to them move. James stared into the bag, and sure enough, there was a faint rustling sound coming from inside it. And then, he noticed that all of the tiny little green things were slowly, very, very slowly, stirring about and moving over each other as though they were alive. There's more power and magic in those things in there than in all of the rest of the world put together, the old man said softly. But, but, what are they? James murmured, finding his voice at last. Where did they come from? Aha, uh -huh, the old man whispered. You'd never guess that. He was crouching a little now and pushing his face still closer and closer to Take a large jug of water and pour all of the little green things into it. Then, very slowly, one by one, add ten hairs from your own head. That sets them off. It gets them going. In a couple of minutes, the water will begin to froth and bubble furiously. And as soon as that happens, you must quickly drink it all down the whole jugful in one gulp. And then, my dear, you will feel it churning and boiling in your stomach, and steam will start coming out of your mouth, and immediately after that, marvelous things will start happening to you. Fabulous, unbelievable things. And you will never be miserable again in your life, because you are miserable, aren't you? 
You needn't tell me. I know all about it. Now, off you go, and do exactly as I say. And don't whisper a word of this to those two horrible aunts of yours. Not a word. And don't let those green things in there get away from you either. Because if they do escape, then they will be working their magic upon somebody else instead of you. And that isn't what you want at all, is it, my dear? Whoever they first meet, be it bug, insect, animal, or tree, that will be the one who gets the full power of their magic. So hold the bag tight. Don't tear the paper. Off you go. Hurry up. Don't wait. Now's the time. Hurry. With that, the old man turned away and disappeared into the bushes. What did you think of the story so far? Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-
Mm-hmm. 